Hello and welcome to SearchCast, a podcast hosted by Isaacson Miller. My name is Rhett Sosby and I'm the recruiting manager here at the firm and a producer of this podcast along with Devin Benjamin, our podcast content manager. I'm pleased to introduce today's hosts, Ernest Brooks and Tim McFeely. Both are partners with Isaacson Miller as well as co-leaders of the firm's social justice and advocacy practice area. Ernest is highly regarded for his engaged, responsive, and collaborative approach. He builds lasting relationships of trust with clients and candidates who appreciate his strategic insights, creative problem solving, and commitment to mission and values alignment throughout the search process. Ernest has effectively recruited chief executive, C-suite, and senior functional leaders for organizations across the social sector, including higher education, philanthropy, and collective impact networks, organizations, and associations. Tim has built a practice grounded in civil rights, advocacy, law, and public policy. His prior experience as an attorney at law and nonprofit leader helps inform the insights he brings to his clients. Since joining Isaacson Miller in 2008, he has led searches for deans of schools of law and public and international affairs, public policy directors, and various leaders of civil rights, environmental, and other advocacy organizations. Our guest today is Reggie Shuford, Executive Director of the North Carolina Justice Center. Before leading the North Carolina Justice Center, he was the Executive Director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania, where he doubled its membership and won landmark lawsuits to defeat a restrictive voter ID law and overturn Pennsylvania's Defense of Marriage Act. Under his leadership, the ACLU of Pennsylvania also beat back efforts to expand mandatory minimum sentencing, advocated for policies that led to the state's prison system to decrease its population by 20%, and laid the groundwork that led to a gubernatorial moratorium on executions that started in 2015 and still stands today. For the organization's efforts and his leadership, Shuford was recognized by a wide array of public interest and media organizations as one of the most influential people in Philadelphia politics. We're thrilled to have you, Reggie, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tim. Yes, Reggie, welcome. You've worked in the social justice and advocacy sector for more than 25 years. Can you share a bit about your journey to this space? Hey, Tim, good to be with you. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for a minute, so <laughs> where to start? Um, I won't bore you with all the details, but I will say that it was my um, childhood uh, growing up in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, the middle of five children uh, born to and raised by a single mother who um, at age 15 had her first child uh, at a time when um, one uh, was not allowed to attend school if they became pregnant. So despite her being deeply intelligent um, and with dreams and goals of her own, she was kicked out of school and was never able to return, didn't have the, the familial or social support systems around her that would allow her to um, thrive and, 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 and achieve her own dreams. So I was privy to all of that. I observed it. I was a sensitive kid. And so um, I, I felt uh, injustice around me. I witnessed it um, and uh, committed at a very, very young age to do what I could to combat it. 
And so honestly, I was six years old when I decided that I would become a lawyer. Not that I knew any lawyers, but I, um, in addition to being a sensitive kid, I was an inquisitive one as well. And so I asked people a lot of questions. Uh, and so more than one adult visiting our home said to me, slow down, kid, you sound like a lawyer. And so that was my aha moment at age six. And I decided, well, then that's what I'm going to be. Um, and given, again, the circumstances uh, in which I grew up, um, I ultimately learned more about what a lawyer meant and the different areas of law, uh, including um, social and racial justice. So I committed myself to pursuing that. Um, and I'm just deeply grateful for the many opportunities that I've had to answer my call follow my passion. You know, a little kid growing up in the housing projects of Wilmington, North Carolina, being able to work at some of the most, you know, esteemed national and state um, advocacy organizations um, has just been um, a great, great gift. And my latest position, which is as executive director of the North Carolina Justice um, Center, uh, where I've been for just shy of a year, but I had a 15-year uh, stint at the National ACLU in New York City. Um, I had 11 years at the ACLU of Pennsylvania, where I was executive director. The work has been varied, but all with an eye toward uh, social and racial justice. Um, and I'm delighted to be back home in North Carolina continuing that work. Reggie, thank you so much for the insight into your background and, and how you were formed. Uh, as you know, uh, at Isaacson Miller, part of our um, process of, of recruiting and evaluating candidates is to go deep into one's biography. And so uh, I heard some of that story uh, when we were in the search process for the North Carolina Justice Center, um, and it was so refreshing and inspiring to hear it again, um, both in terms of uh, your inquisitiveness and what has shaped and formed you, your commitment to justice, um, and also what I know about your deeply rooted commitment to place and your sense of um, connection uh, to North Carolina uh, and the opportunity to return uh, to lead the Justice Center, uh, I know was an exciting moment for you, um, for the Justice Center, and also for Tim and I uh, to have a hand in that. We're going to talk more about your uh, work and accomplishments at the Justice Center, but I want to look back um, and talk about your 11-year tenure as executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania. Um, you worked at the national and state level um, in the ACLU advancing racial and social justice, um, and I'd be interested to know what are some of the key leadership lessons you learned doing that work? Yeah, lots of lessons. Um, and I would, and thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And thank you for, as you said, your role and Tim's role in helping helping to bring me back home. Um, so a couple of things. I, again, I've had the opportunity to do this work at the national level, at state and local levels. And the one thing that I could say about in terms of commonalities um, is that social injustice happens, you know, everywhere national levels, state and local levels too. That said, uh, advocacy, advocacy can look very different, right, at the national level versus state and local levels. Um, and that's a valuable lesson to learn. Uh, so one of the things I learned was that, you know, when you're working at the national level, you often kind of helicopter in, do your thing, 
and then leave, right? And so that has its advantages and its disadvantages. What you don't have is, um, you know, local on the ground relationships necessarily, right? Maybe you don't have the same attachment to a place that is not your home or the place that you live. Um, and, you know, as we know, relationships are really deeply important to really everything that we do, uh, including uh, advocacy. Um, but by the same token, one can feel constrained um, <laughs> by the granular detail of, of the local political or social environment. Um, and you do have to be mindful about relationships, which is, which is by and large a really good thing. But sometimes those things can kind of get in the way of progress, right? Of the work itself can enlarge in the period of time that is necessary to, to seek change or make change. Um, so you really do have to be mindful of the level that you're working at, what you're seeking, the relationships that need to be mined um, in order to be the most effective. Um, I also have learned that no one is able to do any of this stuff um, alone. Uh, that is not um, a problem to say, uh, I need help, um, that you're really only as strong as the team around you. So it's important that you're hiring well, that you are empowering your team to do their best work, that you're not kind of micromanaging them, but you're giving them the tools they need to be um, you know, able to do you know what 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 they do, um, and I think it's important uh, for leaders to to know what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are, and to build a team around them that um, compensates for what for what might be an area they they're not as experienced in, um, but really to give them the tools, your team, the tools they need to do the work that is essential to achieve uh, the mission of the organization. Um, and I think I, you know, I think also it's important when one is working at the local and state levels to really be involved in what's going on. I mean, certainly the in a professional sense, but I think also it's important to be involved in a in a, in a more personal sense as well. So, yeah, I I've learned a lot, and I I guess the thing I'd say about all those lessons is that um, one needs to be humble enough to be able to to see um, the value in those lessons and to be um, and to be ready and willing to accept them. Thank you for some insight into those leadership lessons, Reggie. Um, another thing that I know is that as a, a leader of color, um, leading for diversity and with diversity in mind um, is something that is very important to you. Um, and I know that you had a unique opportunity to provide leadership around um, diversifying a justice organization um, during your work at ACLU of Pennsylvania. And I believe you established an acronym and did some work in that regard. Give us a little insight into into your diversity leadership work there well thank you for that um, I yeah I did I did coin an acronym to kind of capture the issues that um, we were working on with respect to diversity equity and inclusion and it is abide so authentic belonging inclusion diversity and equity and I think all of those concepts are important. I think the most important one though is belonging. And so the sense that everyone involved in a particular 
um, enterprise or job or organization needs to feel like they belong, like um, they are seen, they're valued, they're recognized, their contributions are essential to their overall functioning and, and well-being of the organization and really in service of, of the mission. Uh, and so I, I just, you know, the older one, the older one gets, the, the more kind of help one needs to remember all the things. And so I'm pretty good at coming up with acronyms and, and those types of things. But, you know, and, and I was fortunate enough to be recognized for some of my equity work uh, at the ACLU of, of Pennsylvania, um, which, you know, is never the reason for doing that work, but it's always nice to be recognized by your peers. But I would say that I've been doing equity work long before equity was a common uh, household term. I had, you know, starting earlier in my career, found myself in, in settings where there was not a lot of diverse representation. And I know how important representation is for myself and for everybody else. And so I vowed even, you know, decades ago even to um, try to avoid having other people who came after me feeling sometimes that sense of isolation or just not being valued or um, seen for, for who they who they fully and authentically are. So even at the National ACLU, when I started there in 1995, you know, I was one of very few Black lawyers, really, at the organization, you know, across the country. And I was deeply surprised by that. You know, the ACLU has always done racial justice work, but, um, you know, who was doing that work? Um, and uh, and so I became, when I was at the, the ACLU, the National ACLU in New York City, I became the organization's first attorneys of color recruitment and retention officer just because I was so committed to diversifying the legal staff in particular then having people come and feel like they could really um, be their authentic selves um, and, and you know, help the organization do the best work uh, that it was capable of doing. So I've been involved in this work for a long, long time. It continues um, at the North Carolina Justice Center, and I'm happy to talk about that in a bit. Well, that's exactly where we want to go. Thank you, uh, Reggie, for all the work that you did in explaining that. So the question comes, you know, I know people in Pennsylvania were very <laughs> worried about your leaving, um, but what drew you to the North Carolina Justice Center? I know that was your home state. You've uh, told us about that, but what about the organization drew you to become a leader there? Well, uh, um, I, I, I am grateful to uh, all my friends uh, in Pennsylvania <laughs> who were concerned about my returning south. Um, and, um, and, you know, I, I, I understand that. But I, I think uh, I've been you know, blessed to, to live in, in the Bay Area, New York City and, and Philadelphia and, you know, really progressive bastions that were values were very much in alignment with my my own personal, social, political um, values. Um, and and you know, North Carolina, not not necessarily right. Uh, in some respects, yeah, but 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 not always. Um, but I had been able to do, I, I think, really amazing work in, in all those other places outside of North Carolina. And my sense was that um, there was great work happening in North Carolina and that really I hadn't been um, tapped into it 
as much as I would have liked to have been because I was living, you know, in, in these in these other places. And so I had um, and, and, you know, and, and, and honestly, despite some of my um, more challenging experiences growing up in North Carolina, um, it's always been what I considered home. Um, and, and so when this opportunity presented itself, it was an opportunity to return home, number one, but number two, to do the very work that I hadn't been able to do because, because I was doing it elsewhere. Right. Um, and then in particular, the North Carolina Justice Center's mission, right. To, to combat poverty, um, and to ensure that every North Carolinian has not just the resources to survive, but but instead to thrive, right, really spoke to me, um, given my own um, background in which we grew up, you know, in, in poverty and um, were um, reliant upon, um, uh, you know, the support and help from the state really to, to make ends meet. And even so, we didn't always make ends meet. But, but the sense of uh, vulnerability that comes with growing up poor um, and the lack of security, financial, housing, food, uh, all of those issues, um, I still, um, I, 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 I recall them really, really clearly from my own, my own childhood experience. And so um, to be able to um, join an organization so committed to, to those issues um, was very attractive to me. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that they, they saw something in me that would, um, you know, uh, inspire them to, to want me to join them and to, to offer me a job. But so it's really the desire to return home and do this particular work at this specific organization, um, uh, is, is why I'm, I'm back and, um, I'm here now for just shy of a year. Thank you for that, Reggie. And uh, I know that uh, it's an exciting moment and that there are a lot of great things ahead. One of the things that we're keenly aware of um, across our mission-driven work, but particularly in social justice and advocacy leadership, um, is that uh, social justice leaders have to be both personally and professionally invested uh, uh, in the work that you do, in the mission, in the causes. Um, and so I would love to hear a little bit from you about how how you integrate um, both your professional leadership responsibilities as head of the Justice Center in North Carolina, and then also your own personal leadership in terms of civic leadership and engagement, um, a, a board service. Uh, how do you marry and blend um, uh, uh, the personal and professional there? And then I'll, I'll, I'll follow up uh, uh, along those same lines. Sure. Happy to address that. You know, there's a saying that to whom, to whom much is given, much is required. And that's really a personal motto of mine. And I have always felt called to um, be a part of this fight for social justice. Um, and I've just been able to be on a number of boards, been invited to serve as a board member or chair, you know, just a number of organizations and time permitting, right? And with values alignment, um, I, uh, I, I sometimes say yes to those invitations. I mean, for me, the first, the first question that I ask myself in response to 
uh, will you be on our board or will you serve on our panel, et cetera, is what is my value added? And if I can figure that out and answer that question um, in the affirmative, then I'm likely to say yes. Um, so the work that I do, the paid work, right, is important for my livelihood, but also for the advocacy on behalf of those most marginalized North Carolinians, all of that is deeply, deeply meaningful and important to me. But I care about other issues as well. Um, and I am blessed to be able to, um, uh, in a more personal way, uh, be involved with a number of issues that are sometimes the same as my workplace, but oftentimes a bit different. Um, and so that keeps me um, invested. It keeps me involved. It keeps me engaged. It keeps me meeting um, movers and shakers in the community. Um, it's deeply enriching to me. And um, I find that with those kind of extracurricular, if you will, uh, activities um, and uh, affiliations um, that my you know, my day-to-day -day work um, is, is, is improved and helped um, and enhanced. So, um, yeah, I, I think a, a nice, healthy balance of, of the work that you do every day um, mixed with um, other um, civic, uh, civic work, et cetera, is, um, is, is really important. And so I'm blessed to be able to do both those things. It's great. I'm wondering what are the issues that we're working on today at North Carolina Justice Center? What what's happening there? What are, what's exciting you about the work now that you're dug in and 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 moving forward, got traction? Uh, give us some indication of the issues that are percolating there in North Carolina and that the Justice Center is working on. Lots of exciting things are happening, Tim. So thank you for asking. Um, um, happily, North Carolina recently um, passed Medicaid expansion. Uh, the Justice Center has been a lead advocate in that fight for a decade plus, and it finally happened. And it's deeply, deeply exciting that more uh, North Carolinians will have will have access to the the care and coverage that they need. Um, and so that's very exciting. Still busy doing that. We're also working on. Um, quality education for every North Carol Carolinian, every student, making sure that they have um, access to a sound basic education. So lots of work in that area. We're doing great work on criminal justice reform, making sure that folks who uh, leave uh, carceral facilities have uh, a healthy um, integration back into to, to civic life and in their communities and that they are supported by systems that will We'll see them thrive as opposed to recidivate. Um, we do work on immigrants' rights that are meaningful to folks who feel deeply targeted and marginalized. Um, we are committed to workers' rights and 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 making sure that people are not only earning living wages but are doing so in safe uh, environments. Um, and we are involved in um, affordable housing and, and, and consumer protection and energy and transportation. So lots of amazing things are happening uh, at, the, at the Justice Center. Um, I, I'm excited about all of that. Uh, I, I think that, you know, one would need to recognize a, a, a change in the political landscape, frankly, um, of late that 
um, doesn't always align with the values of the North Carolina justice system, but it makes our work all the more essential. Uh, and to the extent that we can still be so effective um, uh, in this environment, um, just really makes me very proud, deeply uh, honored to be working alongside of my my very talented colleagues whose passion and commitment and intelligence and uh, all of those things are inspiring to me on a, on, a, on a daily basis. I will say that part of what's really making me uh, happy uh, is our 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 recent uh, launch of some 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 efforts that are more internal even than external things that will um, help us make sure that our in, our internal values are are matching our external ones and so we are about to engage on a, a racial equity uh, project. Um, that I'm excited about. Um, and we're also uh, going to do a strategic planning uh, project as well. And um, and I think it will help center us and get us honed in on the strategies that will be the most uh, effective in this current landscape and then hopefully in a change landscape uh, you know, going forward. We're nonpartisan um, and we will work with anyone who, 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 who was committed to to you know, doing the work that I just outlined, um, you know, we we don't we don't care what your party affiliation is, as long as you share the values about making sure that every North Carolinian uh, has the tools and resources um, they need to thrive. And so, I think also those projects, the racial equity project, as well as the strategic planning project, will you know help us answer some of those questions that so many organizations are struggling with now um, and, and you know in the face of the the pandemic and the really devastating events of 2020 and the you know racial reckoning of so-called racial reckoning and so on and so forth i think there was so much um uh there was de- destabilization happening with those things and i think the the north carolina justice center just as just about every other organization uh, needs to to reckon with some of those things, and I think these projects will allow us to um, take on some of those issues and questions. And I have no doubt that uh, we will be a stronger, better, more effective organization uh, as a result of those of those projects. Reggie, at the outset of our conversation, I mentioned that um, some of Isaacson Miller's values and our philosophy of leadership is centered in the importance of biography and personality. And so we believe in um, aligning not just what a person does for leadership opportunities, but that um, the best leaders uh, are really rooted in a sense of being, who you are, what brings you joy, what gives your life meaning and purpose. And so with that in mind, I would love to hear a little bit about what brings you joy beyond the professional work that you do. Um, and then also, what are some of the things that you do to to renew yourself, to, to give yourself a sense of, of balance uh, beyond the workday? Yeah, balance is so critically important. Um, you know, justice does bring me joy, though, Ernest. <laughs> so <laughs> fighting for justice um, can be challenging, but if the end result is justice, then I'm joyful. But beyond that, I, I, I love exercise. I love nature. I love being outside. I love walking. I love podcasts. I love, I can, I can, I can, I can binge some of the 
TV shows that are not necessarily the the, the most high in terms of their calling, but but are entertaining nonetheless. Um, I am committed to spending valuable quality time with my partner and my friends and and my family. Um, I um, yeah, I uh, I love podcasts such as this one and and others. Um, yeah, and I yeah, and I also just I like. I like naps when I can get one of those in. So, you know, nothing, nothing extra uh, extraordinary, but, you know, the, the little things that, that, that are, are really meaningful and can have significant impact. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely recognize the importance of work-life balance. That is for sure. Uh, and I, and I, I am intentional about trying to, to model that uh, for my colleagues. So Wonderful. Um, as we conclude this conversation, I'm wondering if you have any advice for the next generation of leaders, the future Reggies, who are hoping to follow in your footsteps and to pursue work in the social justice and advocacy space. What would you share with them? What advice would you give? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and and may the future Reggies exceed anything that I've accomplished uh, and take it to a whole new level. Um, but I, for me, it has been important to be able to be my authentic self in every space that I am in. Um, and I, you know, based on how I grew up, I, I try to be very diplomatic, but I also always want to honor my own personal sense of integrity and authenticity. So I think when people uh, see that and observe that and experience that, whether or not they agree with you, there will be a certain level of respect that they pay you just because they know that you're walking uh, in your authentic self. Um, I also think that is deeply important, particularly for leaders of color, to understand the scope of their work. And, and by scope of work, what I really specifically mean is um, to not feel some sense of obligation to fix all the problems in day one or week one or you know the first month or even year. Um, some of the issues that they will likely be walking into uh, will be new to them um, um, and will require really a collective effort of that that involves you know their colleagues and their their board, um, and so to not feel some sense that they need to be a superhero, um, but to recognize again the value of um, working collectively and giving others the opportunity to step up as well, um, and it's, you know, and and also that it's okay to ask for help. Like we don't know everything. We don't have to know everything. Nobody knows everything. And it's okay to acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with, with doing that. Um, and I think another important thing that I would would uh, suggest uh, future leaders um, do is find a mentor. I think part of what my experience was was I didn't always have a clear mentor, uh, and so it became important to me that I become one for other people. Um, and so, yeah, so find a mentor and be a mentor, I think. Um, yeah. 
and and just you know keep and keep open dialogue with your staff and your board so that again they can they can help you and that you don't feel solely responsible for solving all the problems that you will certainly uh, encounter um, when you assume a leadership position. Reggie, thank you so much for that advice and wisdom. Uh, I'm sure that it will be hopeful and received uh, by the future leaders in this space. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us um, your rich experience, your wisdom, um, and also who you are as a person and, and, and what drives you. Um, it has been a pleasure to get to know you both in this podcast and um, throughout our work together over the past year and look forward to um, hearing and seeing all of the impacts that your work at the North Carolina Justice Center will have both on North Carolina and on our nation. And so thank you again for that. And I'll turn it back over to Rhett to close us out. Thank you. Thank you all for that conversation, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can catch up on our old episodes, as well as be the first to hear new ones. And we'd also invite you to visit IAMSearch.com for more information or follow Isaacson Miller on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Isaacson Miller. Isaacs and Miller's podcast content provides general information only and does not constitute recruiting guidance or advice. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of this content. All liability from the use or misuse of Isaacs and Miller's content is hereby expressly disclaimed. The content contained in our podcasts should be used only at your own risk.